You're listening to Festival Grass, a podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. With your hosts, Mario and Shanae. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's edition. Fuser is the nonstop festival where you and your friends control the music. Ticketmaster disputes report it will require vaccine proof at shows. Live Nation expects shows at scale to return next summer. Virtual concerts are set to reshape the music industry post-pandemic. AFEM unveils code of conduct to combat sexual harassment and gender discrimination. But first, the UK Parliament's Culture Select Committee to put the spotlight on music festivals. Well, listen, we all want music festivals to survive. And the UK Parliament's Culture Select Committee yesterday announced another music industry-related inquiry, this one looking at music festivals and what support they need to successfully return after the COVID shutdown. The committee noted that, quote, with the vast majority of festivals canceled in 2020 owing to COVID-19, the sector's revenues have dropped by 90%. The predominantly freelance workforce and other parts of the festival supply chain have been similarly affected. However, social distancing requirements and public health uncertainty present further risks for festival organizers. It remains unknown to what extent the COVID-19 pandemic will impact on the 2021 festival season. Some fear that another round of cancellations could occur if there are further surges of the virus or more draconian social distancing rules stay in place, making it tricky for major events to operate in a commercially viable way. Now, Sinead, for independent festivals, canceling a single edition of an event basically writes off a whole year's worth of revenues. So even if live music was to resume in a commercially viable way in the autumn of 2021, per se, that doesn't help much of the festival sector. Now, the key question for the select committee here is how can the government help festival promoters meet those challenges? And without such support, what would the economic, social and cultural cost of having a festival sector on the brink be? Now, the committee also plans to discuss how the festival market has evolved in recent years, as well as what festivals can do to make their events more environmentally sustainable and to more effectively tackle the dangers of drug use at their events. Now, here's a quick quote for you, and then I'd love your opinion, Shanae. They say, we have so many legendary festivals that have given the UK a worldwide reputation. It would be devastating if they were unable to come back with a bang or if smaller festivals that underpin the talent pipeline disappear entirely. We want to hear from festival staff as they face huge pressures, fans who've missed out, as well as musicians on the contribution that festivals make to our culture and economy. Shane, what do you think about the UK Parliament showing so much love to the festival business? Yeah, I think it's really important and I think it's encouraging to know that they have a government that's going to support them or, you know, looking into supporting them now because perhaps they weren't supporting them as much as they should have been so far. But knowing that 2021 is not going to look like a normal year, it's important to have an industry survive through this pandemic. Absolutely. Couldn't have hoped for better. And that's if this is just a sign of the attitude that many places around the world will take in realizing that music festivals are a huge part of the social fabric of any country. These are good tidings indeed. Fuser is the nonstop festival where you and your friends control the music. Fuser, the new music game from Harmonix that lets you live out your wildest DJ fantasies. 
You get to pick your songs from some of the world's most popular hits. You craft a distinctive look for your character and for the stage with fireworks, lasers, video screens, holograms. You're in charge of your own show. You're going to need skill, creativity, and quick reflexes if you want to make a name for yourself at the Fuser Festival. You can play solo or with friends. Much like the game Rock Band, all you need is an external controller. So while this certainly piqued my interest, I can't help be disappointed by the lack of EDM on the soundtracks. Don't get me wrong. There is EDM hits on this game, but it seems to be like predominantly pop hits and radio hits. I can definitely see them adding genre-specific games in the future. What are your thoughts, Mario? Man, the ingenuity. Where do these people come from? This is just so amazing. I, I think the video gaming world is taking over music festivals. However, you're right. The lack of the EDM component um, is not cool. It's not cool, guys. We got to write Fuser a letter and let them know that uh, Shanae is not happy in particular. They need, <laughs> they need to get on it. But I love the idea of living out your wildest DJ fantasies. I mean, who doesn't want to be a DJ? And this whole thing is so um, collaborative. I mean, if you like a mix that you made, you can send it to your friends or you can have playoffs with your friends. You can go head to head. And then, of course, there's the challenge of, of working your way up the success ladder to eventually become the headliner. So I just think it's really fun. I remember, Shane, you asked me if I wanted to uh, learn how to DJ because Alice in Wonderland was teaching on YouTube. And that seemed much harder, but this seems much easier in terms of get in there and start you know, doing your thing. Yeah, it's also definitely just a really great way to spend some time alone or with friends if you're doing it virtually or if they're in your social circle, you know, getting to hang out with them and just just having a blast. Even when fans flock back to live music post-pandemic, virtual concerts will still remain a key part of the industry and allow musicians to take their shows further on the road, experts say. Live music is estimated to bring in $26 billion each year, a number PricewaterhouseCooper predicts was on track to grow pre-pandemic. In the absence of such traditional concerts, music technology companies have found a valuable niche. In quotes, what COVID has done is actually finally pushed the music industry. It's finally had enough of an earthquake event to push the industry to try and figure out how to diversify its revenue streams, how to build out a business for tomorrow says Zach Katz, CEO of Raised in Space, a Los Angeles-based venture capital firm that invests in music technology startups. COVID is going to prove over time to be the greatest thing that ever happened to the music industry. What do you think about that, Shanae? I think it's definitely a great opportunity to be innovative and come up with new ways to have this industry survive. The world is advancing in its technologies and are becoming transformational. So to not move in a digital sense and to not move in the world of technology, you would be doing a disservice for the industry that you're in. Yeah, there's an interesting quote here by Tracy Chan, the head of music at Twitch. And she said, in the future, we believe that we'll see more artists and festivals adopt a hybrid approach to performances. We'll see dedicated virtual shows and festivals that are supplemented by those that are in person and vice versa. And of course, we've said this on the on the show. The future is being written right now. The best festivals will survive this way. But what's really fascinating to me 
is that the DJs, the performers that are involved in live music would be smart if they are using these side-by-side revenue streams, for instance, where they can play at a music festival in a live capacity in the future. But because they've gone through these hardships, they now are better prepared to also augment that on a virtual level. I think more artists could see success in the future because of the diversification of their performances. What do you think about that? Absolutely. And I also think that by providing hybrid events in the future when we can have a live event, it actually opens their door up for a greater revenue stream because there are many people who can't go to festivals because of the traveling or the amount of time they have to take off from work or the cost of a ticket. But if they're going to pay, you know, 30, 40 bucks for a live stream, that's all revenue that the festival wasn't going to get from the start. So it's opening up new doors. Absolutely. And I'll just finish off by another quote here. YouTube's head of music, Ali Rivera, he notes that virtual shows democratize the music. He says fans with disabilities, financial constraints, or travel concerns don't have to miss out. And artists are able to perform in areas they couldn't normally reach. What's better than to have more accessibility for those that are technically disadvantaged in this case. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our Music Festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. CEO of Live Nation, Michael Rapino remains upbeat about the company's fortunes next year. He says that fans can expect a show at scale next summer after vowing to implement a series of measures to ensure that they are COVID secure. From venue sanitation procedures to fan-friendly policies on ticket purchases and the latest testing options, they are setting standards that will give fans, crews, and artists a peace of mind before, during, and after the show. This thought process was reinforced by the number of ticket holders who did not opt for a refund and early festival ticket sales in the UK for 2021. The announcement follows a disastrous year for the company, with the widespread cancellation of gigs due to the pandemic, causing the firm to report a 95.1% drop in revenue in the third quarter of 2020. Live Nation posted a net revenue of $184 million in the period from June to September, which is a huge drop from the $3.77 billion that they raked in during the same period last year. They are certainly being optimistic here, as we continue to see the world succumb to the rise of COVID. Mario, what are your thoughts here? I'm happy everyone is feeling extremely optimistic. I mean, I know there's grave figures that are being touted here. I do expect a bounce back. I don't know if it'll be as strong as it's presented. And the reason I say that is because there's so much uncertainty that we still are facing and this, this, what this reminds me here, these pieces of articles, because Live Nation is putting something out every week now. They're on a PR train, okay, which is fine because they're trying to revive their conglomerate. But I think this is about consumer confidence, honestly. And I know, I know people want to go to festivals. I know everyone's eager. I mean, look at the amount of people, 83% that kept their ticket. For, they didn't even want a refund. So they're definitely chomping at the bit, ready to rip it. But I think consumer spending is the key. There's this thing called the Consumer Confidence Index, and it's a survey. And it measures how optimistic or pessimistic consumers are regarding their expected financial situation. And it's based on the premise that if consumers are optimistic, they will spend more and stimulate the economy. But if they are pessimistic, then their spending patterns could lead to an overall recession. And if we're just talking about that macrocosmically, 
we're, then people are worried about that for countries in general. But when we're looking at the industry here of live music and the festival business, it's the same thing. I mean, it's just a, it's just in micro scale. And all the people who want to go to these festivals, what they're not evaluating is that there are going to be restrictions placed on these festivals by governments, by the changing tides of this pandemic. And, you know, it's nice to think that, well, no problem, you know, when the sun comes out next spring, man, everything is just going to come rip roaring back. But we can see already that festivals are being pushed towards the <laughs> towards the end <laughs> of, uh, of, of 2021. I mean, everyone's talking about September, October, November. I mean, I don't think Coachella is going to be going on in April. That's just my opinion there. But I think those are the ones to watch, the ones that come earlier in the year. And if they do go forward, I think they are going to go forward with heavy restrictions, which will affect their bottom line. Would you like to be on the show if you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered? Please click or forward the guest sign up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Speaking, Sinead, of potential issues coming in the new year when it comes to festivals, this is a report here by Ticketmaster who disputes that it will require vaccine proof at shows. This outcry came after reports surfaced concerning Ticketmaster's supposed plans on how to guarantee events attendees' safety. According to the report by Billboard magazine, Ticketmaster would require that its attendees present proof of vaccination or negative testing to COVID-19 in order to be granted access to an event. Now, Ticketmaster itself has come out to dismiss those reports. We all know that Pfizer recently came out uh, with a vaccine. And with the news, the whole entertainment industry is excited to make a spectacular 2021 comeback. But... Having a vaccine does not ensure, number one, that everyone will have access to it. Number two, that everyone will want to take it. So according to Billboard, Ticketmaster came up with this plan to try and make all of their events safer. Originally, after acquiring a ticket, attendees would need to verify that they had been vaccinated or had tested negative for coronavirus. Tests must occur 24 to 72 hours prior to the event taking place. Test results would then be delivered to an external health company. Examples are Clear or IBM. They then would be in charge of passing the results on to Ticketmaster. If the results were negative or the attendee submits proof of vaccination, Ticketmaster would then be in charge of handing the buyer digital tickets via their app. If a fan tested positive or did not verify vaccination, they would not be granted access to the event. As additional information, Ticketmaster would not gain access to the medical records. Now, Sinead, after everything we've talked about, does that sound lovely for festival goers in the coming year? You know, I actually read this article, the original one, and I'm in this community on Facebook that people were just losing their minds over this statement. And what I just didn't understand is why people were so upset about saying you either get a vaccine or you prove that you were tested because we're all just trying to be safe here and nobody's forcing a vaccine on you. They're saying you have option A or option B if you want to come to this festival. I like their idea, the concept. Maybe I think that they have to work things out a bit more in terms of how they're proving people are vaccinated because just that thought of a lot of um, hands that these test results go through, so to speak. But I do think it's very similar to that bubble event concept where you get tested a few days prior and then 
to an even higher extent at these festivals that we see like elements in Pennsylvania, you're doing testing a few days before and then testing when you arrive, rapid testing, so that you have two negatives and then you can come into the event. So I think they're on the right direction, in my opinion, um, for safety, but they definitely have to work some things out. I'll read a quote here by Ticketmaster, and it says, Ticketmaster does not have the power to set policies around safety entry requirements, which would include vaccines and or testing protocols. That is up to the discretion of the event organizer. Ticketmaster continues to work with the event organizers on all COVID measures And it will be up to each event organizer to set future requirements based on their preferences and local health guidelines. So it sounds a bit like they came out saying vaccines may have been mandatory if they were to purchase tickets through them, through Ticketmaster. But then they backpedaled and said, well, actually, we don't necessarily set these safety and entry requirements. It's up to the festival. So they've kicked it back to the to the event organizers. Any festival I've been to, I certainly don't uh, go through Ticketmaster. However, the reason we speak about these things is that we hope it gives a bit of a broad picture on what is being worked out in some of the more large scale corporate style gatherings that are that we're that we're sort of keeping an eye on, and then using that to predict what it might look like for even independent. EDM festivals, obviously, because those ones would certainly not be selling through Ticketmaster. But it is safe to say that in the future, not only did festivals themselves have so much to handle in terms of harm reduction, in terms of sustainability, in terms of getting rid of all of their waste, but now they also have to worry about them being liable if their safety measures aren't good enough. AFEM unveils a code of conduct to combat sexual harassment and gender discrimination. AFEM, for those who don't know, is the Association for Electronic Music, and they're described as the global voice for the electronic music industry representing our community, culture, and commerce. The association's latest endeavor is to launch a code of conduct against sexual harassment, which has been in the works over the past few months. Their diversity and inclusion working group developed the code to combat those issues within the entire sphere of the EDM industry, from venues to talent agencies and beyond. A statement made by Greg Marshall, the general manager of the association, says, through the launch of our code, we hope to enable the industry to identify and correct the mechanisms and attitudes within electronic music culture, which enable and facilitate perpetrators of sexual harassment and abuse to go unchallenged and unreported. We want to bring about an EDM culture where everyone feels safe, respected, and free from sexual harassment and risk of assault, to ensure safe environments for fans and professionals, and to advocate for a culture of support for victims of harassment. This document encompasses all operations and procedures in order to provide a harassment-free workplace within the industry. It includes sections on preventing, intervening with, and reporting cases of sexual harassment. Additionally, the document explores ways to combat gender discrimination by employers or employees. We should be thankful. I'm just surprised that something like this wasn't there before. And what I'm thinking now is that how are they going to enforce this? And what are these mechanics that they talk about? Is this basically, is this legislature something that if I wanted to report something, this is where I would go now? Or if I wanted to blow a whistle in a place of work or at a festival, or if I see something or hear something, I'm just wondering how does it become enforced and who am I 
reporting transgressions to because they make it sound like this legislature creates a code of conduct. Everybody agrees to it. But the issue has always been that people don't say anything. That's been the big problem, whether the victim and the survivor doesn't say anything or whether the people who witness things don't say anything. And then, of course, the people who are involved in the music business and the festival industry and the entertainment business, it's like whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So I'm just wondering what that what changes here. I'm sure that, you know, there were places for people to go before this was instituted that would help them if they had sexual abuse reports to make. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you, can you help me maybe with my confusion here? Or are you wondering yourself how this is going to become enforced? I can help you with the confusion. I think that the difference here is, yes, there's all these different spaces for victims or survivors. But what this is doing is creating a code of conduct. So when festivals are building their business and starting up, they maintain these as a part of their identity and a part of their work culture and environment that they're building. Ultimately, it's always going to be up to witnesses and victims to report. You have to report to authorities. You can't really report to, you know, an initiative like this. You could let them know and definitely reach out to festivals and say, you know, this is what's been going on. Like they can help support you in that sense by helping be a voice for you. But ultimately, you still have to report to the police and to the right authorities if you experience sexual harassment or assault. And definitely at festivals, you know, report to security. Talk to your friends beforehand. We're going to have a deep dive on rape culture and sexual assault in the music industry. So definitely check that out. And we'll talk more about the way that the community can help stop this and help support each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think maybe in that deep dive, we should go into why these codes of conducts may not or may have been in festivals, opuses or Magna Cartas, whatever mission statements that they write to follow. But I'm just surprised that they might not have had these. It's not a revelation to have a code of conduct against sexual harassment. It's not been okay for a really long time. The problem has always been that nobody wants to report it, right? So here it says it includes sections on preventing, intervening with, and reporting cases of sexual harassment. Who are the people who are designated to be the watchdogs for that to come to pass? Ultimately, it comes from the power of the people within the company, the employees, the owners, the managers. But what this is doing is establishing a deeper level of a code of conduct. Because of course, to say, hey, this workplace is sexual harassment free. What does that mean? So these are just tools. And as a business owner, you have to take these tools and now work on implementing them and work on creating a structure that works for your business. So maybe that's sending all of your employees to trainings on how to spot sexual harassment and how to help victims and how to be more aware of the surroundings and how to report. Because like you said, a lot of people don't report what's happened. If it's through work, if it's just a stranger that they see something happening to, people don't say anything. And I think giving your employees and giving people a tool to learn how to report is the next step. Because yeah, none of this is new, but we're coming to a turning point in the world where we need to stand up. I think I'm seeing it a little clearer now. I like the way you said it about event producers who are going to be building a festival from the ground up, per se, and they're going to be using this code of conduct to intertwine into the fabric 
of all of their activities. And then, of course, even extending to the artists that come in just for shows and to their volunteers who are not there in a paid capacity. And then by extension to their attendees as well. So I think it's I think it's all around a great instigation towards a better future here. Now, at the time of the articles publishing, Sinead, 220 companies across virtually every facet of the music industry have signed onto this, including Amsterdam Dance Event, Beatport, Defected Records, Mixed Cloud, Native Instruments, Pioneer, DJ, Shogun Audio, and a multitude of others. It is great to see an entire industry behind a better future for victims of sexual assault. We all need to speak up every time without fail. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector, so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye.